When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to all to the Transfer Window HQ, where of course we bring you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me, as usual, is the man you cannot buy in any transfer window because he belongs to this podcast, Duncan Castles. It's a packed pod today and we'll get straight on with the news. And interestingly, uh, it is information that we have obtained that Manchester City are willing to sell England international Raheem Sterling. It's a... Also information that there has been three invitations to Raheem Sterling and his representatives to enter into extension negotiations on his current deal, which ends the season after this. But they have been rebuked and uh, no talks have taken place. Sterling himself has given an interview today to a at sports conference in which he openly admitted that he was disappointed with his game time this season and indeed would be also willing to move abroad. It's uh, the, certainly our understanding that City have tried um, in terms of offering a f- 40% upgrade in his current salary, which is just over £200,000 a week. But it appears that Sterling uh, is unhappy, not just with his game time, but also with the offer that's been made to him. At age 26, clearly uh, he has the best years of his career ahead of him. And it's also the case that he's played twice as many minutes for England this season than he has for Manchester City. Um, Duncan, this seems to have been brewing for a while. Um it doesn't appear that there's any fallout with Pep Guardiola, but with the arrival of Jack Grealish for twice the transfer fee they paid for Sterling when he moved from Liverpool, uh, there seems to be a little bit of uh, rivalry, if you like, uh, in terms of those two players, obviously both England internationals, but also the fact that City are quite heavily loaded in that attacking midfield area. Yeah, I think this this goes back to last season. Uh, there was a point during last season where Pep Guardiola moved Raheem Sterling from being a first choice in his attack um, to being a, a a bench player or, or a, a player he used in the rotation. Uh, and that hasn't changed um, subsequently. It certainly hasn't changed this season. This season he's played seven Premier League games but only started two of them. Um, He scored just one goal, that goal coming in a 5-0 win against Norwich City. Um, Champions League, one start uh, in the most important game against Paris Saint-Germain. And ironically, in that period where he wasn't playing much last season, he was played in the final uh, against 
um, Chelsea uh, ineffectively, as, as it turned out. Um, he has played in both games, but off the bench in the other Champions League this uh, match this season. Um, no goals and no assists. So not getting a, a starting slot on a regular basis, despite City being without a central striker um, because they failed to complete the deal for Harry Kane that Harry Kane wanted um, to happen in the summer, which Manchester City wanted to happen. Um, Sterling has been used as a central striker on numerous occasions by Guardiola in the past, but ultimately and effectively his conversion rate in that position hasn't been good enough. And, and Guardiola, in a season where he has the option to try Sterling again and use him there, has chosen not to. Um, he was asked about Sterling's comments in today's press conference um, and it was quite equivocal in what he said. Um, he said, Raheem is our player. Hopefully he will be an incredibly important player for us. Not notably saying he is an incredibly player for important player for us, but saying hopefully he will be. I don't know if he wants to play more. And then comparing him with, with other um, players who were in a similar situation in terms of not having a guaranteed starting slot. And he said Riyad doesn't play and he doesn't complain. João um, Cancelo too. I cannot assure them. I cannot assure how many minutes each one plays. Always they have to speak on the pitch. And you know that's very, very typical for Guardiola. Um, if you don't perform, if you don't deliver what I require on the pitch, I don't care about your status. I don't care um, how much you're paid. I will choose the players I think are going to deliver the results because the results are the most important thing for me and always will be. And he's, he's run his whole career that way and hasn't been shy of dropping major players in the past. Um, Sterling was made available for transfer in the summer. This is this is a an extensive process. Um, he was offered to Tottenham uh, as part of the the Harry Kane deal. Um, he was offered around other European clubs, but no one was interested enough and capable enough to take him or able to persuade him that that was the right place to go. And, and I think this is the issue that, that Sterling has. Um, he's, he's still just 26. He's played a lot of football, but he should be at the peak of his career. Um, he expects to be a frontline player and a, and a regular starter for one of the top teams in European football. When he talks ab about his interest in playing in another country, I don't think that's uh, something he's devised in response to this situation. Um, I know someone who, who talked to him several years ago um, on an off-record basis and, and Sterling made it clear at that time that he had a strong interest in playing in Spain at some point in the future and um, has targeted Real Madrid and Barcelona as clubs he, he thought he could play at um, if his career developed the right way. So I think this is a long-standing thing with Sterling. He feels he is good enough for that. And he certainly feels that he is better than two Premier League starts and in, in seven appearances. Um, and he's placed himself in a situation with less than two years left on the contract that City, having been unable to sell him in the summer, 
um, see the dynamics of it and would prefer to tie him to a new contract uh, so they can achieve a transfer fee uh, should the, the, the long-term decision be. Again, he's not bedded himself back into the team. Um, it's more strategic to allow him to go and, and let's make a or some kind of return on the fee. But if he's, uh, if he's not prepared to sign a contract, then that accelerates the, the position and uh and will force city um to actively uh, market him again and, and try and find a club that will satisfy sterling's ambitions um and satisfy their demands for a transfer fee now here's the odd thing duncan um in reference to what you said about playing in spain um the same source that um divulged the willingness of city to sell Sterling rather than lose him on a free transfer in 18 months' time, etc., also said that they believed, they couldn't prove it, obviously, because these things are never provable, um, that Paris Saint-Germain have already been in touch uh, on the basis that they're expecting to lose Kylian Mbappe at the end of this season and see Sterling as a potential replacement for Mbappe in their front line. Now. One of the things that wasn't really picked up upon uh, in this interview that he did um, was that when asked what language would he prefer to learn in order to play abroad, he said French. <laughs> now, that says to me that Liga, you know, which, let's face it, is not the most competitive league in Europe, um, but clearly PSG being nation state owned and uh, they had the ability to pay extremely high salaries um, may well be um, something that he is actively considering for the end of this season. Um, it wouldn't make a lot of sense as to choose French as your language of, of choice if you're considering a move abroad. Unless no. <laughs> it's, it's Paris Saint-Germain he's targeting. Um, that, look, it will be fascinating if Qatar decide first choice to replace Kylian Mbappe um, when he, he leaves um, at the end of the season under freedom of contract is a player from an Abu Dhabi club because normally you would not see Manchester City countenancing selling one of their best players to their direct rival. Um, and direct rival for the Champions League title that, that both of those countries are chasing. Um, I think uh, if Manchester City are happy to do that, that's pretty telling in itself that they, that they would allow a player of who has been of that status to go to a direct rival. I think that tells you uh, what how, how valuable they consider them to be at present. Well, on the other hand, um, getting your money back from one of your you know, nation-state rivals uh, for a player who doesn't want to be at your club and who is not rated highly enough by the head coach to start automatically. You might think to yourself, well, that's actually probably quite a good trade. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It's a good trade for my, if it's a good trade for Manchester City, then Qatar should be asking themselves, do they really want to get involved in that trade? That's my point. <laughs> Very true. In the wider context, Duncan, um, 
We're now seeing players of a much younger age choosing to run down their contracts and give themselves effectively the freedom to choose their next club and their next contract without having the interference of negotiations with their current club. Uh, Two notable um, other players who are currently running down their contracts are Paul Pogba and, and Mbappe, who we've already mentioned. It seems to be a trend now where um, agents are not advising their players to necessarily sign up to long-term contracts at relatively early ages for the, the security, if you like. And of course, in which case, being more or less... Held hostage is probably a bit too strong, but certainly being controlled by uh, their current club with regards to the opportunity to move. Um, This seems to be a trend which is progressing and indeed accelerating, um, especially with such high profile names. Yeah, I think that there's definitely that element of players and their advisors, um, their families who are increasingly involved in in these deals at one level or another, expecting a percentage of the payments either by being representatives or being paid by the agencies to to represent the players. Um, Knowing that if they move under freedom of contract, they, they have the ability to secure higher wages and uh, and the ability to uh, secure a higher signing on fee. Um, but I think there's also an element of in a time when liquidity has been has become restricted in football because of COVID pandemic, um, you have you have clubs being a lot more cautious about the spend on top tier players. Um, a lot more cautious about signing players even in their mid-20s and certainly older than that for significant transfer fees uh, and a lot more cautious about the wages and the, the price of everything has grown. So you know, someone like Sterling is already on over £200,000 a week. Um, so to take that player and add a, a transfer fee, let's say the valuation of, of Sterling, with two years left in his contract is 50 million pounds. It's it's a massive investment and there are a limited number of clubs able to do that. So, you know, Tottenham might have been able to do it from the perspective of a partial trade against Harry Kane's value. The wages would have been difficult for them, but Raheem Sterling doesn't want to move to Tottenham. Normally, he'd be trying to get Barcelona, Real Madrid PSG, that tier of club, to do the, the deal. The only club able to do it at the time would have been PSG last summer. PSG, interestingly, have pursued a, a transfer policy over the last summer, which has been focused on free agents, um, paying huge salaries and, and big signing on fees to those players, but avoiding the, the transfer fee element uh, in order to to reduce some of the costs of the deal. So, so I think part of this process is driven by players thinking, yes, it's a way of maximizing my return on the deal, but also an element of it's driven by there just isn't as much money um, to be paid by the big clubs for players um, who are re- already on substantial wages because because the overall cost of the deals 
has increased and the liquidity available to the clubs to, to fund those deals has reduced. Very true. I think we'll see more of that in the future and certainly in markets. Maybe not in January because that's always a very difficult market to negotiate for clubs. But certainly next summer when I know that from speaking to a lot of chief execs, chairman, recruitment heads, that um, their plans are based around uh, maximising the value of deals in the summer rather than um, paying over the odds in January. But of course, as we always see, Duncan, the last day of the transfer window in January tends to be a bit hectic as clubs start to panic about uh, what they've got available to them and um, how they can ensure their ambitions are met, whether that be survival in a league or indeed European places, etc., etc. Certainly, um, talking to the people involved in the takeover at Newcastle United, they are conscious that summer is a far better market in which to use the you know the large amount of liquidity that's become available to them to to change the squad um so a more efficient market to work in but they're also aware that they, there are an increasing number of players who will be available under free transfer because of this this drift in the way the market works usually free transfer players weren't elite players in the past it was rare you got guys of the status of Raheem Sterling um, moving towards freedom of contract someone like Paul Pogba moving towards freedom of contract at Manchester United it's an unusual scenario now it's become more typical and Newcastle United amongst other clubs are thinking well we have the the leverage to take advantage of that from a a financial perspective but let's invest it in the signing on fee and the wages and and try and avoid uh, spending too much on on transfer fees if we can of course if you work that way there is a there's a tactical advantage to the club in that you're putting your resource into the hands of players rather than into the hands of your rivals ironically the clubs who are kind of bucking that trend um duncan in terms of their own recruitment, I'm not talking about disposing of players here, is City's neighbours, Manchester United, who spent um, or invested uh, huge amounts of money in the summer window. Uh, most notably, uh, Jadon Sancho, who has not yet uh, reached the heights of his performances, which he displayed at Borussia Dortmund. And you have some information regarding uh, how difficult it has been for him to settle into English football uh, with regards to his performances on the pitch, but maybe perhaps also just the change uh, from German football to the Premier League. Yeah, look, we've seen Gareth Southgate talking about that and irking Uli Gunnar Solskjaer by, by discussing ahead of England's last round of international fixtures that, that Sancho didn't deserve to be in his squad on the basis of his performances for Manchester United following the the transfer, the long anticipated transfer from Borussia Dortmund for what the German club described as a fixed fee of 85 million euros. United trying to make that deal happen for, for well over a year before finally getting the player. Southgate saying, um, 
probably he didn't deserve to be in the in the squad, but I think we feel we have invested in Jaden over a period of time. We believe he can get to a high level. He did name him in the end and only played him in the probably the easiest fixture that England faced against Andorra. Um, Solskjaer wasn't happy with that. He, he, his response to Southgate's words was to say he will be a top player. Performances are going to come. He'll come good. We've got absolutely no worries. Now, the information I've had, um, which comes from a couple of sources at Manchester United, is uh, that there are worries within the camp. Um, there are worries from Sancho's teammates who have not been impressed um, with a number of things that they've seen so far from him. On the pitch, certainly, and we've all seen um, that he has not achieved the levels that he uh, produced at Dortmund for significant periods. I mean, interestingly, at Dortmund, he, he, he had periods where he was exceptional and periods where he didn't perform particularly well. So I think the hope for Manchester United is that they've just got him in one of those um, downtimes and coupled with the adaptation process that pretty much every player experiences moving to the Premier League, he'll get through it. But what I'm hearing from the players is that it's not just on the pitch and, and they feel that on the pitch he has been ineffective. Um, he's not using his ability on the ball to, to bypass opponents um, and to create chances, which of course is is uh, demonstrated by statistics. Um, no goals and no assists so far in the uh, the six Premier League and two Champions League games that he's he's played for United. They are saying that he's also been poor in training, um, making mistakes that they wouldn't expect from a player of that status. And also saying that his attitude hasn't been particularly good in training. They've not been impressed with him as, as an individual with some, some of the things he's done there. And, and I'm told there are major question marks amongst the players over whether United have made a mistake in, in signing Sancho. Um, from the coaching side, I'm hearing that they, they feel that while Sancho is excellent on the ball, um, technically very good, they've been surprised by his lack of pace. Uh, and they feel that, uh, that that has held him back in the Premier League because obviously um, pace is a, is a very important element in beating players in, in Premier League football. And, and also, I think, in beating players when they, your opponents sit back, which often happens against Manchester United these days and, and has ironically been one of the problems for Solskjaer throughout his time managing the club is coming up with a, a way of breaking down opponents that don't come to them and allow them to to hit them on the counter attack, and ironically was one of the things that Sancho was supposed to to fix. Solskjaer wanted Sancho, wanted a right winger um, who could create chances for the rest of his attack and break down those type of opponents. And what we can say is he hasn't done that yet. Absolutely hasn't done that yet. So the the question is. Is it a fitness issue? Is it an adaptation issue? Will he be able to turn it around? Will he become the the player that United thought they were buying when they, they put so much effort into pursuing him? It's certainly a difficult scenario um, and, a, and a difficult battleground for Sancho, harder than it was expected to be because, because of Cristiano Ronaldo. 
he, you know, the opportunity, as we detailed on the podcast, to sign Ronaldo came very late, um, in the sense that the, the 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 club were convinced that it was the right thing to do, and Ronaldo said, "Yes, I will come back." Um, and it, it kind of went counter to how they planned their attack for the season. And what it means is they're very top heavy at that end of the pitch. Um, Sancho has been used primarily off the left wing this season, um, partly because Mason Greenwood is now again playing predominantly off the right wing and will play predominantly off the right wing because Ronaldo is, is now the first choice sent forward. You look at last season where Solskjaer managed to develop a system where Pogba nominally started as a left winger but was allowed to drift in beside Bruno Fernandes. That, that's basically the position he's given to Jadon Sancho. So you've got that competition element between Sancho and Pogba for that area of the field. You can't see Bruno Fernandes relinquishing his role as the number 10. So that, that blanks out that potential position for Sancho. And you've still got Marcus Rashford to return. And Rashford, uh, having had that period in his career where he, he wanted to be a number nine, then decided, actually, I'm not a number nine and I like playing off the left wing. So um, I think it's fascinating to watch how this develops because if the, the United players are right and, uh, and there's, a, there's a fundamental issue there, then Solskjaer is going to have to make some kind of decision over the degree of opportunity he gives to Sancho to adapt and develop and nail down that place in the left wing. And he's going to have to make some of the other players in the squad unhappy um, to do it and, and hope that Sancho does return to, to what we saw in the Bundesliga and does become the player United expected to get when they signed him. Is it possibly more simple than that, Duncan, in the sense that um, my experience of, of elite dressing rooms over many years is that when a, a player, especially a young player like Sancho, comes in uh, on a very big transfer fee and very high wages, there's a certain amount of jealousy amongst other players who are not earning as much and who may be more experienced and feel like they have given more to the club. And then it becomes a question of them criticising that particular individual for the sake of it rather than because he actually deserves the criticism. I'm not saying that he's played well, but it's only been, it's a very short period into the season. Yeah, he's, he's only 21 uh, and he does come in with a very high salary and he comes in with a high status. Uh, the sense I get of it is not a jealousy element. It's an element of... Um, professional footballers training with an individual who comes in at extremely high cost and therefore is expected to to be of elite quality and uh, I'm being surprised by the level of performance that he's delivered not just on the pitch in competitive matches but on the training pitch I'm not getting the sense that this is uh, we're jealous of him it's um, he's not carrying his weight in the team uh, and he's hampering performances and results because of that and not responding with um, the kind of effort they would expect an application they would expect in training to get him up to that level. It could 
well be just a, a temporary period. It is an adaptation time. Um, he is, it's the first time in his career that he is expected to perform at this level at a Premier League club. Um, you know, he Manchester City allowed him to leave because he felt he was good enough and, and to be in the Manchester City first team at a very young age. And uh, Manchester City came to the conclusion that he wasn't at that level yet, although they rated him as a as a technical talent and therefore couldn't give him what he wanted and 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 then allowed him to move to Dortmund when Dortmund made them a significant transfer fee offer and Dortmund gave made the player the promise you will get game time. We will make you an important part of our squad. We do see you as developing into an elite player and we will be patient about it. Um, as I say intriguing to see how it develops and, and a, I think a, a managerial challenge for Solskjaer and his uh, extensive coaching staff as well as a as a professional challenge for Jadon Sancho. My impression from watching him play um, for Dortmund, for England, for Manchester United is that he has what's called explosive pace so he can cover five to ten meters very quickly, but there's no second gear. So escaping opponents who are pressing high on him is much easier than playing against the low block. And I think maybe that's what he's found as difficult uh, in order to impress so far in the Premier League with regards to the way in which he himself, his style of play, is complemented. And um, I saw it at Dortmund where obviously the gig in Preston is very um, common and therefore Sancho could just knock the ball past his opponent and get past him with that explosive pace and then deliver a cross or get to the box and shoot and whatever. And um, what he's found in the Premier League is that when you play for Manchester United, you often do find yourself up against a fullback who's going to stand off you and allow you to try and make your move and therefore making it easier uh, for the fullback to intervene or block your run and your ta and tackle um, in order to prevent you from making progress. That seems to me to be the case with, with Sancho. And I think he's, he is trying, and he will have to adapt to that. Yeah, look at one other element to to note in amongst this is that it makes if if Solskjaer continues to use him off the left wing uh, and keep Greenwood as the the starter on the right wing, it also makes United defensively susceptible on that left flank because um, Sancho has not been doing a lot of recovery running to to help his defence. You have Luke Shaw. Um, who has gone through an entire career not doing a great deal of recovery running when when things go wrong from the good going forward, prepared to push up the field, but um, uh, quite often you can see him being lazy about getting back to into position. Um, I think he, as we've said many times in this podcast, has a fundamental problem with judging the right position to be in as a defender. That that is a wing that um, that opponents can target. Um, and 
probably an element of why United have, have underperformed in terms of results this season. And if they don't use Sancho there, you and they use Paul Pogba in that position again, that doesn't solve the problem for them. It, it will be a weakness for them. Rashford does do the work uh, and is a highly energetic, committed player um, at both ends of the field. But um, Sancho needs to demonstrate he can re replicate that as well as actually be effective in, in what he's been signed to do, which is create goals and score goals. Well, we um, move back to the other side of Manchester now because uh, we understand here at the Transfer Window podcast that Manchester City have already started their search for a new manager to replace Pep Guardiola, whose contract expires in the summer of 2023. Uh, he has already made it clear that he intends to fulfil that obligation, but no indication certainly, that he will stay for sure uh, any longer than that. And uh, it is our information that Brendan Rodgers of Leicester City is one of the leading candidates with regards to replacing Guardiola. It would be a very interesting appointment for the Abu Dhabi-owned club, uh, given that they have tended to go for um, foreign coaches, obviously, and also ones with proven experience and track record of winning trophies. Rodgers, of course, has the FA Cup uh, with Leicester City to uh, claim as uh, on his CV. But other than that, um, even a multitude of trophies when he was in charge of Celtic doesn't exactly uh, realise the photo fit that City would be looking for. So in that case, it would certainly be a very interesting appointment. Um, and also very interesting, Duncan, that uh, they're already looking at candidates. Uh, it, it doesn't surprise me because they're a very well-run club in Chiquipagueristan and Soren Fariano, um, the chief executive and football director. They have forward-thinking men who are used to uh, planning well in advance for things that are happening. They also have a very good relationship with Guardiola, obviously, from the time the three spent at Barcelona. So if they're looking for and they're actively sounding out and looking at a new coach, you would have to expect that that's because they do fully believe that Guardiola will leave uh, people close to Guardiola say he's keen to either take a sabbatical um, or maybe perhaps work in the MLS at New York City, which of course is owned by City Football Group. Um, or, as uh, our good friend Graham Hunter on the podcast told us, uh, the possibility of coaching the Brazil national team to the World Cup uh, in 2026. Um, is this a surprising um, development, Duncan, given that Brendan Rodgers is not a kind of stellar appointment? that you would think of for a nation-state club like City? Look, I think there are multiple elements to this. Um, one, we know Manchester City are extremely well organised. Uh, we know what happened when they made the last managerial appointment. It was done far in advance. Uh, in that case, they had targeted one individual, Pep Guardiola, and they spent a long time making sure they could secure him. 
but um, preparation and strategic um, development is has always been fundamental to Abu Dhabi's ownership of Manchester City. They are working with a coach that everyone knows is flighty. Um, and you know Guardiola himself has talked about how if he doesn't feel like he should continue as coach, he will step away from the job. The warning, public warnings have been there. He recently talked about um, a time limit on his Manchester City um, career, I think in, in a conversation in Brazil, and, and when asked about that, said, no, I've been misquoted. I didn't say I would definitely be leaving at that stage. But City are well aware that Pep Guardiola could step away at the end of any given season if he feels like he doesn't have the energy and drive um, and commitment to working any longer in, in the Premier League. So therefore, no surprise whatsoever that they're they're putting early stage preparation in to finding a replacement. And you know, it's not it's not an easy thing to do, despite the fact that that coach will come in and have um, probably the most expensive squad ever assembled still. Um, uh, un that's unlikely to radically change. Maybe Manchester United will move slightly ahead of them by the stage he does leave, but they're gonna, he's going to come into incredible resource and incredible training structure um, around that resource. Um, but he's going to come into a club that has effectively been designed around Pep Guardiola. They, they did everything possible to get him to the club they, you know, the training ground was designed around him. The academy setup was designed around him. The first team setup was designed around him. Um, it's very focused on one individual. So you, you then have a, you probably have a choice of trying to find someone who's similar to Guardiola in style and methodology, um, and plugging a, a, as best as you can achieve a like for like replacement into the system. Or you go the other way and, and say, um, it's time for a change. We go for what we did last time or what we thought we did last time, which is hire the best coach in the world and then make use our resource to adapt the system to that new coach. Um, you can see why Rogers is on the list because uh, he is committed to playing a lot of elements of what Guardiola does in terms of, of uh, control on the ball and passing game and, and positional football. The, um, so so there, there are similarities there. He knows the Premier League very well. Um, he has a reasonable reputation at present because of the, the success of Leicester City over the last couple of seasons, although still hasn't got them into the Champions League. So it makes sense to have that preliminary conversation and find out um, if he is the right fit or not. Um, and I would expect they're having similar conversations and, and targeting a number of other individuals to get themselves ready for what is probably not at this stage a definite decision from Guardiola that he leaves a, a set time, but more a kind of insurance policy if he does decide to go at the end of the season or get ready for when he will go, which they cannot expect will be a, a huge uh, length of time.
I think you've got to think that Luis Enrique would be also a candidate, Duncan, um, given his connection with Barcelona, obviously, and Spanish national team now, and the fact that, as you said, um, they will look for a brand of football which will continue the philosophy of Guardiola. Yeah, although Enrique started that shift away from Guardiola's um, tactical system with Barcelona, so that might be a, a question mark over him. Um, I I think one of the elements they'll have when it comes to Brendan Rodgers is um, is Brendan Rodgers' expectation that there might be other top clubs in England who want to hire him. Um, Brendan Rodgers is a man with of of great ambition and great belief in his his abilities. And uh, if you're Brendan Rodgers at present and you're looking at what's happening at the other side of Manchester. I would expect you're thinking I could be a candidate for that job and that job might come up quicker than the, than the one at Manchester City. Just having an image in my head of Brendan going from one meeting to another in neighbouring restaurants with City and United <laughs> officials. <laughs> to have chats with both. <laughs> Playing the two they, off against each other. Yeah, so then and then saying, Well, well, you know, you know, <laughs> I've got an offer from the other side. <laughs> Speaking of uh, adulation, Miss Amanda Staveley um has made quite an impression on Newcastle United fans. And therefore we have decided that we will dedicate this week's donkey to uh, the new um, director of Newcastle United Football Club. Uh, and that's because Duncan came across a song, which you can, I'm sure, Google yourself and find it. It's by the Geordie Singer. I'm sure that's not a sewing machine. And uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, I, we love Amanda Staveley. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's amusing, to say the least. So we've decided to, to name this week's donkey the Amanda, Amanda Astaire Award for adulation and inspiration of songs by the fans. So I'm just going to open up the, the famous golden envelope, Duncan. Just let me get in here. Yeah, there we go. Okay. I love this one because it's all about the fans. Um, I'm going to start with Liverpool fans who, to a very famous song by the Jackson 5, did a song about Jimmy Traore, who I have to say, you've got to remember, he won a Champions League winner's medal and played the full game as well in Istanbul. And uh, the fans' chant was, don't blame it on the moonlight, don't blame it on the sunlight, don't blame it on the good times. Blame Jimmy's Traore. He just can't. He just can't. He just can't control his feet. That's as close as you're going to get to hearing me sing, because as you can hear, my voice is going a little bit. Lots of chatting today. Um, the second nomination is uh, to uh, Steve Sidwell during his time at Brighton and Hove Albion, who inspired... Um, a song when he scored from the halfway line and uh, the song was along the lines of I love you Stevie Sidwell 
you are the love of my life. You love you, Stevie said, well, you my wife. I want ginger hair too, which is the last part of my favourite one. And last but not least is uh, quite a quite an old classic from Manchester United fans about their former Dutch international centre-half Yap Stam, famous for his comments on the Neville brothers. We won't use that word, obviously. And it was, Yap Stam is a big Dutch man. Try and get past him if you can. Try a little trick. You'll make you look a dick. Yep, yep. Yep, Stam. Duncan, it's down to you to choose between <laughs> these little homage of classic terracing songs, if indeed terraces still existed. Well, well first of all, I, I, I urge our, our listeners to, to get on YouTube, search for Amanda by the Geordie Singer and uh, and and have a good laugh at uh, the devotion that is displayed in, the, in those song lyrics. Um, and, and we should say we, we, we hope that Sean Custis will come public on his uh, Geordie Singer YouTube account <laughs> in the future. Um <laughs> I wonder if they'll still be singing the song if they get beaten five now by Spurs on Sunday. <laughs> well, I wonder if they'll sing it in the stadium on, on Sunday. That would be a that would be an amusing um Replace replace Camp Town races with the, the Geordie singer. <laughs> um which of those songs look Manchester United fans have array of of uh, of brilliant chants down the years. Um I'm not sure Yap Stams is the best one. Uh, Steve Sidwell, I hadn't heard that one before you uh, you mentioned it today. Um, I, I I didn't even realise he'd scored a goal from the halfway line. I think that's probably the most remarkable thing about the the Steve Sidwell song. Um, <laughs> most that's a bit harsh. <laughs> most most uh, most creative of of those in this case goes to Liverpool. It's reverse adulation. Um, the Jimmy Traore chant. Uh, Via the Jackson Five is the winner of the uh, Amanda Stavely Award this week. Magnificent. Well, there we go. That brings to an end uh, a very um, entertaining and informative podcast. As always, we hope you um, agree and you obviously can engage with us and please do on our social media platforms. We are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Duncan's on at Duncan Castles on Twitter. I'm at GarboSJ. Also search us on YouTube on Transfer Wonder Podcast, and you can get find us there. Uh, until uh, the beginning of next week, uh, just leave me to say, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Hey.